The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. This is a bit surreal. As Daniel said, I was actually in college back in the day, the early 80s, at Horizon in the North Park Theater, and they brought this young guy in to teach. And he looked like he was a college kid. His name was Ray Bentley. And Ray blew our minds, just blew our minds with grace. He was teaching the book of Romans. I've gone on, people jokingly call me Greg O'Grace. But Ray Bentley's the one that, he was the first one that I was just shocked to see the grace of God in Christ as he was teaching there. And then, like Daniel said, the first year of this church, I in college, I went up and was part of what was happening there at the junior high. But it's, it's a surreal thing, you know? It's a surreal thing to look at Ray's son and to feel Ray in him, you know? Yeah. Just this, Ray, Ray Bentley, the, and, and Daniel has it too, just a clear, just a, I, the word clarion, it's just clear, it's so clear, and so, so clear, the teaching. You know, and uh, anyway, blessing to be here. If you saw the bumper before Daniel came out, it said basically frustration, disappointment, and disillusionment. Frustration, disappointment, disillusionment. It's equal to our expectations that are unfulfilled. If you expected marriage to be a five-star cruise, I can tell you, you've been complaining and feeling like you've gotten ripped off the whole time. If you feel that this life is a five-star cruise, you know, there's been a lot of complaining going on, I can tell. This was my experience, but we have to make sure that we let the Word of God set our expectations, okay? Of the 43 parables of Jesus that are found in the Gospel, 13 of his parables are parables of the kingdom of God. And they all say essentially the same thing using a different illustration. Okay, we'll, we'll look, we're gonna look at four of these parables tonight. But Jesus tells these parables of the kingdom of God to set our expectation right so that we might avoid being frustrated, overly disappointed, or even disillusioned. He sets our expectation so that we might not be derailed by frustration, disappointment, and disillusionment, derailed from what he has planned to do through our lives. He has a plan to work through each and every one of our lives to his glory and to our joy, as we see in John 15. So just after Jesus, we're going to be starting in Luke chapter 13, but this is just after Jesus had another clash with the religious establishment of the day because they turned the day of rest into a day of stress. With their obsession with religious rules, they were angry instead of rejoicing when Jesus relieved a woman who had suffered for 18 years of a terrible spinal condition. We can know that if our religion has us obsessed with religious rules and callous to human need, 
we can know that it's time to lose our religion and to find our way to Jesus. It was just after this clash, this yet another clash with the religious establishment there, that Jesus says in Luke 13, 18, he said, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? And so Jesus asking this question in true rabbinic fashion, he questions, he throws a question out and then he tells parables to his disciples to draw them in, to make them own and and to engage them. He's asking in essence this question, what is the kingdom of God like? Because there's all, all these religious leaders there in Jerusalem. They were, they were not representing well. And so Jesus is saying, what is the kingdom of God like? Think with me. He's asking in essence, what will things be like in the domain of all that claims my name? In the realm of what we today would call Christendom. What should we expect? What should we expect this thing to be like between the first and the second coming of Jesus Christ? And it's so that he wants us to understand what he is saying it's gonna be like, what we should expect so that we might avoid over frustration, disappointment, and even disillusionment. Now we have major hints about what it's gonna be like when he comes, okay? Revelation 21, verse one, I love this. My brother, my dad, and my mom all passed within the last five or six years. And this was, on, this was, this was the verse at each one of their services. But John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. And then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, adorned as a bride for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will be dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. And here's what it will be like when he comes. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. And then he that sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write these words, for they are true and faithful. That's what it's going to be like when he comes. And we long for his coming. Our hearts cry, Come, Lord Jesus. But the question that Jesus asks in these parables is about what we are to expect in the meantime. I call it the meantime because it can be a real meantime, okay? The Bible sets our expectation about this life. It's a refinery. It's a gracious gift from God. It's a refinery. Read 1 Peter chapter 1, right? It's a time of preparation for eternity. It's a time of tears, a valley of tears. It's a time that we deal with death and there's sorrow and so much pain. My back's in pain right now. It just comes with the territory when you're 61 years old. But he said to them, what is the kingdom of God like? What is it like? 
And to what shall we compare it? It's like a mustard seed which a man took, notice, and he put into his garden and it grew and became a large tree and the birds of the air nested in its branches. And he said again, what is the kingdom of God like? What should we expect? It's like leaven, which a woman took and she hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened, until it was permeated. Now, it's interesting because the way that we interpret the parables of the kingdom, it will shape a person's worldview and it will shape your concept, our concept of what the church is to be about in the meantime, in this time between the first and second coming of Christ. It's interesting, there is a group called the Dominionists, Dominion Theology, and they see these parables It's showing the church growing into this great institution, becoming this monolithic kind of giant that covers the entire earth, permeating the world, like leaven permeating dough. And they say this, I I believe, without any biblical basis, that the leaven equals the church, permeating the world. And the dominionists say the church will permeate the world by taking governmental power positions and then enforcing God's way even on the unbelieving population. This, the dominionist theologist believes that this is how the church is going to usher in the millennial reign of Christ. And this view of the church, if you know church history, it's led to terribly oppressive and unchristlike deeds like the burning of heretics at the stake, like the putting to death of people that have committed sexual immorality. And I believe that view, that it, and it's, it's, it's not supported in scripture, but I believe that it has hardened untold numbers of people against the gospel of Christ. Jesus didn't kill any heretics. Jesus never called for the killing of any sexually immoral people. He called for repentance and new life, but he actually stopped a bunch of Pharisees, if you'll remember, from killing a woman who was taken in the act of adultery. He stood as a shield to this woman against this stone-bearing, hypocritical mob of Pharisees. Remember that story? And as he drove them off one by one, he then turned and he brought this woman to himself. He loved her to himself. So what is Jesus seeking to show us about how it will be? How will it be between the already planted kingdom of God? It was inaugurated in the first coming of Christ. How will it be between the already inaugurated kingdom and the not yet culminated kingdom? This is is the question that Jesus engages us with here. How is it? going to be? What should we expect until he comes again? First, he says in verse 19, let's look at it again. It's like a mustard seed that a man took, put into his garden. It grew and became a large tree so that the birds of the air nested or lodged in its branches. Okay, if you know anything about mustard seeds, mustard bushes, They mature in about 60 to 90 days and they don't become large trees. This is a parable. 
Jesus is signaling here that there's something unnatural and deformed about how this thing is going to grow. And into this, the branches of this unnaturally large mustard tree, the birds of the air will nest. What does this mean? Well, Jesus tells us in Mark chapter 4, verse 13, what the birds represent. We don't have to speculate. He says there in Mark 13 that the birds mean, and he says there, and this is what they're going to mean in all of my parables. Okay? They represent Satan. Okay? So the domain of everything that claims the name of Jesus will have this unnatural almost deformed, grotesque-type growth, and there will be a satanic element lodging in the branches. Are you serious? Yes. (laughs) And he said, to what shall I liken the kingdom of God? Notice the next parable. It's like leaven. What do you know about leaven in the Bible? Think about it. It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. Leaven or yeast, if you've baked bread, yeast is an element you put into the dough and it corrupts. It decomposes. It gives off gases and it takes that little lump of dough and it puffs it up and it makes it look more substantial than it really is. It also makes it into that nice, fluffy, hot bread that comes out of the oven and it just soaks in all that butter. But I digress. Let's get back here to the text. Jesus warned his disciples about the leaven of the Pharisees. He said, which is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is acting like you're more than you really are. Acting like you're better than the rest of us, when reality, the Pharisee, is just as messed up and just as desperate for God's grace as you and I are. Jesus warned his disciples, I don't want you to be infected with the corrupting element of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, the leaven of the Pharisees. What we find all through scripture is that leaven is a symbol of corruption. So if we let scripture guide our interpretation, because the Bible is internally consistent. One of the major, one of, one of the main hermeneutical or bibli- rules of biblical interpretation is to let scripture interpret scripture because it's internally consistent. All through scripture, leaven, it doesn't represent the church, it represents corruption infecting the church. It's a hugely different vision that you get. Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God, this domain of everything that claims his name, okay, everything that claims his name, until he returns, it's going to be bloated, like dough bloated by leaven. It's going to make it look a lot bigger than it really is. The kingdom of God, the domain of everything and everyone that claims his name will be permeated with a corrupting element. And Jesus is saying, this is what you should expect. Now, I I came to the Lord 41 years ago. I was 
a young man, 20 years old, 1920. It was almost 42 years ago, I guess. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. We didn't have a Bible in our house, not one conversation about God. My dad was an airline pilot. He had flown the president's helicopter for two years. My sisters were top of their class at UCLA, UCSD. And Jesus broke into my life. And the rest of my family, over the years, they all came to know the Lord. Half of, them, half of them are in heaven right now with Pastor Ray. Jesus was so compelling. I sat under the teaching of Chuck Smith, of Ray Bentley for three years, Mike McIntosh. But as the years went on, seven or eight years in, I began to have a real crisis of faith. I was looking around at so much that was being done in his name by people who claimed his name. So much that was just so not Jesus. I began to spiral. I, you know, I turned the TV on and there's some TV preacher on there and, he, and it's, he's so obviously, the whole message is heading towards your pockets to get at your cash. And the guy's got three jets already and he needs a fourth vacation home or whatever. You know, you hear of priests that are representatives of Christ on earth, right? And then you hear these stories. I don't want to hear these stories. Molesting children. You're hearing pastors in pulpits slamming and driving away certain conveniently targeted groups of sinners. And I'm thinking, these are people for whom Christ died. What are you doing? Why are you doing that? That's what the Pharisees did in the Bible, not Jesus. You know, one of the 17 years that I was in Eastern Europe, we were planting churches in Hungary and Yugoslavia. I was a year down in Yugoslavia and we were doing an outreach. We wanted, we, we would take the band, I don't know if you heard of the band, The Cry. One of Daniel's buddies, Pete Nelson, was the guitar player for The Cry, but they would come over and we'd go into these town squares and we'd set up a band and we'd play all day and preach the gospel and then, you know, hundreds of people would come out and dozens and dozens would come to Christ and that's how we would plant churches. So we were deep down in, in Serbia, it was Serbia of the, of the time, now it's Bosnia-Herzegovina, the whole thing broke up. But we went into Banja Luka, you know, and there in the town square there's the huge church, the Serbian Orthodox Church. And out of the church comes this priest. You know, this dude's dressed in the whole black with the big black thing, and he had a cross that was like this big. And I'm, I'm so naive. I'm thinking, here comes the Jesus rep of the town, man. He's going to be stoked. And he walked up, and he's like, what are you guys doing in our town? I said, we've come because we want to preach the cross. I pointed to his big, huge cross. You know what this guy did? He opens his robe. And he shows, he shows a gun. And he says, you need to get out of my town right now. And I'm looking at this guy. <laughs> and I'm thinking, wow, this is 100% political, religious power trip. 0% Jesus. And I actually thought, you're one of those birds that Jesus said was going to lodge in the branches, you know? At what point I became so disillusioned, I began to think, I don't know if I want to identify with any of this. I don't know, I went through a season 
I've been a Christian 41 years, a missionary 17, pastoral ministry for 35. But I went through a season where in my own heart, I don't know if I shared it with anybody, maybe just my wife, but I was, saying, I was thinking, I don't know if I want to call myself a Christian anymore. It was as I began to understand these very parables of the kingdom of God that I could hear Jesus I could hear Jesus in the parables saying, I know, I feel you, I understand. This is why I gave you these parables. These parables are a heads up. This is how it's going to be until I come again. There's going to be ugly mixed in with the beautiful. There's going to be fake mixed in with the genuine. But I could also hear the Lord saying to me, Greg, in the meantime, in this meantime, I want you to identify with me. I want you to fix your eyes upon me. I want you to follow me. I want you to keep your eyes on me and come with me. I want you to go and show and tell my gospel, the gospel of my redeeming love. I want you to go and show and tell it to all people, even to those that the religious establishment say you shouldn't be going to those people. Do you know Jesus constantly faced that? He was always going to people that the religious folks had ostracized in that culture. You know who went after a group of people that were ostracized and marginalized and shut out of churches back in the 60s? a lady named Kay Smith. You know, it happened, this, the Jesus Movement Calvary Chapel thing out of which this church was birthed. It started in the heart of Kay Smith, not Chuck Smith, as Chuck Smith tells the story. She started to see the hippies through the eyes of God, this group of people that were out there. They were pushed out. They were marginalized. They weren't welcome into the church. A bunch of drug addict, dirty barefoot, jobless kids. That's how Chuck said he looked at him. He's like, I don't, Kay's crying and weeping, going, God, you love, you want to save this generation. And Chuck's like going, they need to get a bath and get a job. That's what they need. And finally, Kay prayed, Lord, open my husband's eyes. And when Chuck's eyes were open to see how much God loved that generation of kids, he opened his heart he opened his arms, he opened his church, and 2,000 churches, some of the biggest churches in the United States, were birthed because the Holy Spirit was moving into, because Jesus was going after those folks. And the Lord spoke to me in these parables of the kingdom. It is a mess, it is a mix, isn't it? But I want you to identify with me I want you to listen to me. I want you to follow me, keep your eyes on me. I want you to go and show and tell the gospel of my redeeming love. Go and tell them. Don't be frustrated. Don't be discouraged or disillusioned. Because I've told you in advance, it's going to be mixed until that day. Notice in this next parable, this, he says the same thing, and he gives, a, he gives us further illustration as to what we are to be doing, and interestingly enough, what we're not to be doing. 
here in the meantime. In another parable, he put forth to them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came in and sowed tares among the wheat. There it is again, this mixture. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. And so the servants of the owner came to him and said, Sir, did not you sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. Birds have lodged in the branches. Leaven has permeated the thing. An enemy has sown tares among the wheat. And then the servant said, and this, is, this interests me because this is a question I would have said, well then, Lord, do you want us to go then and gather them up? Do you want us to go and root out all the tares? <laughs> That's a total question I would have asked. And I would have been shocked by Jesus' answer when he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, to the, and we're going to see in the next parable, to the angels, first go gather the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them, but the wheat gather into my barn. Sorting it all out is not in your job description. <laughs> Yet how many ministries today, entire ministries, they know who's in and who's out, you know? And you have so many claiming his name over here, slinging mud and condemning to hell. So many others that are claiming his name and they're all shooting back and the world looks on and goes, who needs any of this? In these parables, we are, in, we are given instruction to not be sidetracked from our job description. Here in the meantime, our job description is to sow the seed to show and to tell all people of the redeeming love of God and Jesus Christ. Our job description is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. St. Francis of Assisi took this literally and he would preach to the animal world as well. He's like, I just got to get everything that's breathing. I'm going to bring him the gospel. And this means all sorts of people that have sin struggles that are not like yours. This means all sorts of people that are not in your comfort zone and in your in-group. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Look at this final parable in Matthew 13, 47. Again, the kingdom of God is like a dragnet, this weighted fishing net that goes all the way down to the bottom that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew it to shore. They sat down and they gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. Who did? So it will be at the end of the age. Notice when the sorting out will take place. At the end of the age, the angels will come forth and separate the wicked from the just. That's interesting to me, the wicked from the just. There's a juxtaposition here, the wicked and the just. So the wicked are the unjust. Do you know what justice is? Justice is when you see and you hold all people of equally high value. Injustice is when you see some as worth less 
than others, and thus they're treated that way personally and before the law. It's a huge theme all through the scripture. The wicked are the unjust. We're superior. My people are superior to your people. This is a lie from the devil. It's a, that's a, this mentality is a denial of the gospel of Jesus Christ because we look at the cross of Jesus Christ. God so loved the whole world, every language, tribe, nation, and people. And he paid one equally unfathomably high price for everyone. My mom used to tell me, I used to ask my mom all the time, what's that worth? What's this worth? I ended up getting a business degree. We have entrepreneurial stuff and investments in my family. I used to drive my mom crazy. What's that house worth? What's that car worth? I remember my mom, she told me, and it stuck with me. Something is worth, Greg, but someone's willing to pay for it. What did God pay for every single person, every single soul of every color and nationality and ethnicity? He paid one equally unfathomably high price. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's just, that's the, that's the core of justice right there. And when we see that, we just live in that. When we see people like that, we treat them like that. This is a huge topic right now in our culture, in, our, in the United States of America. People need to hear the gospel because you're not gonna treat people with equally high value if you don't see them that way. And the only way that you're gonna see them that way is if you see them through God's eyes. Our country is so terribly divided right now. And this is one of those issues. Good luck, guys. Good luck that the politicians are gonna bring about justice. No, we need to see through the eyes of the cross of Jesus Christ. And then once you see it, the rest, you just go out and live it, okay? Maybe you're here tonight and you're struggling with not wanting to identify with the domain of everything and everyone that claim his name. Maybe you're struggling. Jesus is saying, I know how you feel. There's so much of this that I don't identify with either. There's so much that grieves me and it grieves me more than it grieves you, but I promise you wait, you watch, you're gonna see. I'm gonna make everything beautiful in its time. I'm gonna sort it all out when I come again. In the meantime, I want you to identify with me. I want you to fix your eyes on me. I want you to come and follow me can you hear the voice of Jesus? I hope that he's set our expectation where it belongs so that we don't have frustration, discouragement, or disillusionment, so that we can see what we are to be about, showing and sharing the redeeming love of Christ. It's amazing what's happened in the last several years, you know, with the passing of Chuck Smith, with the COVID stuff, you know. Whew. God is reducing me. I don't know about you. He's reducing me down to Jesus. 
my faith is in Jesus. There's a bunch of weird stuff. There's churches that are fighting. And did, are you, are you pro-vaccination? Are you non-vaccination? Are you voting for Trump? Or, you know, and, and the church is hitching themselves to political wagons and others going, wait, wait, wait. We don't want to exclude half the population from coming in to hear the gospel. And God's got me just reduced to Jesus. I don't care what you think about the vaccination. I don't care if you're from a Baptist church or a Calvary Chapel or a Pentecostal church. It, God doesn't see any of that. He's bringing us to Jesus. Identify with me. Look unto me. Follow me. Listen to me. Move at the impulse of my love. Move, be ready to go to people. Maybe that the, the churches don't want to have anything to do with them. And maybe you're the next Chuck Smith that gets to experience this mighty outpouring of God's spirit. We see in these parables what we are to be about and what we're not to be about, sorting it all out. In the meantime, I don't know about you, but my heart cries out, Lord Jesus, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We cry, come Lord. Or as they would say in the early church, Maranatha. <laughs> Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for what the finished product is going to be like. Beautiful beyond description. Too marvelous for words. Lord, we thank you for this heads up in these parables of the kingdom that you've told us in advance how it's going to be in the meantime. Lord, may each of us, may I more and more, Lord, fix my eyes upon you, follow you day by day. Open opportunities, Lord, to share and to show the gospel of your love, your redeeming love. Come, Lord Jesus. We long for that finished work. When you sort it all out, you make all things beautiful in your time. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.